chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elder, elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Oh, that is a big step, working those glutes this afternoon. Good morning. I mean, good afternoon. I literally said this afternoon and followed that up with good morning. Um, am I on? We good? Okay, cool. Um, so, hey, you guys, welcome. Again, uh, my name is Chris. I'm a pastor here at King's Cross, and uh, we're going to be going through this text in First Peter chapter uh, 5. Let me pray for us, uh, and then we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, Father, I thank you so much for... Um, just this space that we can meet in, uh, that we can gather together as a church family uh, and just walk through your word. I pray, Lord, that it would encourage us, that it would challenge us, uh, and that in ways, Holy Spirit, that only you can, that your grace, uh, the grace of the gospel would just transform our hearts, that we might walk away looking more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So, uh, as a pastor, I find myself in like these funny social situations sometimes. Like, I'll be standing in line, like at the store uh, or at this at some party, and I'll strike up a conversation with a stranger. You know, just uh, trying to be friendly. Uh, and eventually, like one of us will ask like that that age old question, right? Like, hey, so what is it you do, right? Uh, and then when they find out I'm a pastor, sometimes people start to like backpedal, right? Like if they have a glass of wine in their hand, they're suddenly like, oh, this is like my first glass ever, right? Like I'm okay with that, right? Uh, or, uh, or suddenly like their language becomes like more proper. Uh, and a lot of times, it's really funny, like a lot of times the con- conversation will like immediately go to where they feel like they need to tell me why they haven't been to church. Uh, it's like, you don't even go to my church. And uh, like they feel like they have to tell me why they don't, haven't been to church in, in years. And a lot of times if I dig around enough, it's because of, uh, you know, some pain that they experience. Maybe it was a hypocritical leader or pastor or someone in the faith that they looked up to that suddenly left the faith or um, let them down in some way. The fact is, that happens in churches. That happens among Christians. It shouldn't, but we live in a broken world. And we're broken people stained by sin. And unfortunately, that happens. Pastors can fail. Pastors can be lured by sin and make a complete mockery of our faith. It's happened to friends of mine over the years. We have a very real spiritual enemy seeking to thwart our growth and celebration of God's grace. And pastors and leaders in the church find themselves in the crosshairs more 
by the enemy. That's why the last few sermons uh, in 1 Peter chapter 4 were all about suffering and the different kinds of suffering that, that Christians could, can go through, specifically when you're being like persecuted or hated on by outsiders. And then here in 1 Peter chapter 5, right after he went on and on about how Christians often suffer as exiles in this world, he says, so then, he says, so likewise, and then he starts to talk about pastors as we just read. So, yeah, we're going through a passage of scripture that is about pastors. You might be wondering, like, hey, why don't we just skip this, uh, skip a part like this since, you know, most of you here are not pastors. But here's why a text like this is of consequence uh, to someone like you. Whether you're a Christian or not, whether you're visiting or you consider King's Cross your home or you're tuning in through the live stream for the first time, right? The reason that we're going through this text is, number one, it's in the Bible, right? It's in the Bible. We're going through this series on 1 Peter. We're going verse by verse, and we happen to find ourselves in this passage of Scripture. It's in the Bible, and because it's in the Bible, and we believe, as the Bible says, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's his very breath given to us, breathed out by God, and it's useful, 2 Timothy 3 says, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness— so that we all might be prepared for the good work that God has called us to. And so, and so it's helpful for us as believers, even if it might not on the front end immediately seem like it's practical or helpful to us, we trust what God says about itself, and we know that studying any text can make the light of God's word shine in dark places in our hearts. But secondly, some of you in this room might one day aspire to humbly serve as a pastor or elder in the church. I know that that includes, I personally know that some, that includes some of you in this room. The, and, and you know, as, as a new church plant, we launched about three years ago as a, as a young church. I am currently the, the only installed pastor slash elder at our church, but we're, we're raising up uh, men from within to, to be uh, in-house pastors, uh, lay elders at, at this church. The Bible says that that is a noble task, but it's also one that's not without its challenges. You know, I'm in a season right now in my life where I feel really insufficient as a pastor, um, and I think in some sense it's healthy to always kind of feel that way, but I just, I mean, I just feel like that's magnified right now. Just thinking about how ways that I could have done better leading our church and leading my family uh, through this last year with all of its ups and downs and wild changes. And studying this passage over these last two weeks has only deepened that for me. It's only deepened that conviction. It's revealed areas in, in my own heart, in my life, in my leadership, areas, areas where, where growth is needed for me. And so for some of you that aspire to the office of pastor, that, this will be applicable to you in that way. But some of you, maybe you don't, not, you don't aspire to be a pastor, but you serve with your gifts in different leadership capacities. And while this specific passage is not written with general leaders in mind, many of these biblical principles, you'll notice, like, absolutely do apply. And so, 
Um, you know, I guess there's one other reason. is like, if this is your home church, you have a pastor, right? If this is your church home, you have a pastor, and it could be practically helpful to you if you're an active member here to, to know what pastors are called to do, right? It's like if you serve in the legislative branch, it probably would be helpful to know what the judicial branch does, right? And so, and so that might inform the way that you pray for me, that you pray for us, uh, the way that you encourage, the way that you evaluate pastors, which is welcome. The thing is, as we're going to see in this passage, that God is not silent on the matter of healthy church leadership. Some of us are coming here into the proverbial pew with some pain points from our past about related to church and church leaders. And what we see here is that God is not silent on that matter. He's not silent on the matter of healthy church leadership. He has spoken and he wants the local church to be united and orderly for the purpose of overflowing with faith, hope, and love. And so he's got some sharp words for those who lead. And those who serve as pastors will either lead in response to God's calling or in rebellion to it. And in 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 5, we see a passage where God speaks not only about leaders in the church, but directly to them. And so let's read verse 1. Peter says, So, again, remember the context here, in light of all the suffering that Christians are going through, so I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, looking at that verse, uh, here's our first point. I want us to answer the question, just what is an elder? Like, what is an elder anyway? Right? Like, some of you are thinking, like, oh, I met a couple of those once. They rode their bikes up to my door. They had name tags on, right? Like, no, that's a different team, right? We're not talking about those kinds of elders. Sometimes when you hear the word elder, you're thinking uh, like, like older people uh, with, you know, just, 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 just older in age, wiser in, in, in years. But that's, that's a different kind of elder than what is meant here. In this text, uh, it's the Greek word presbuteros. Presbuteros, and other times when you see this word elder uh, or pastor translated in the New Testament, it's the word episkopos, right? You may have guessed that presbuteros is where Presbyterians get their name from. Episkopos is where ep uh, um, Episcopalians, um, I almost said Episcopalian or whatever, like fish. Um, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, like get their name from, but which, which, which basically... The elder, what, what those words mean, it's somebody who presides over a local church, exercising leadership oversight. And so what we would call uh, in our modern, like, you know, church vernacular, we call a pastor, right? And so and, and when you see the word elder in the, in the New Testament, uh, you, can, you can interchange that with pastor. Pastor is an elder. And so, um, and so look what he says, though, about, about what an elder does, what a pastor does. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And then he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. 
And so what that tells us is that to be a pastor in some sense is to be a shepherd. If you want to know what a pastor does, if you want to know what a pastor does, then, then it'd be helpful for you to look at what a first century shepherd did, right? And so what comes in your mind when you think of a shepherd, right? Usually when we think of a shepherd, we think like this nice, nicely carved out like nativity shepherd with a stick to lean on, right? Like, but, but when you, you go back and look at what first century shepherds were like or what even some modern day shepherds in some very rural countries are like today. It's like, man, shepherds are, are like blue collar, they're gritty, they're hardworking, and they had a lot of responsibility if they wanted to see their flocks flourish. And so in the same way, Peter's saying, pastors are responsible to see to it that their flocks are flourishing. Pastors are to live among them and care for them just the way a shepherd would live among and care for his sheep. He would make sure that they're fed, right? Pastors make sure that that the flock of God is, is fed by preaching the word of God. Shepherds would protect the sheep from wolves and from other predators. Pastors do that by protecting churches from false and unhelpful teachings, Shepherds would lead uh, them through the, the, the sheep through, through seasons, and, and pastors do that too. They lead churches through seasons, setting the pace and the culture to make sure that they're maturing. What verse 2 calls exercising oversight. Now, it's worth pointing out a couple small phrases that could, like, if we're going too fast, we could easily overlook, but I think it makes all the difference if we kind of zoom in on them. I want you to notice in verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, Peter could have just said, hey, look, elders, pastors, hey, shepherd your flocks. He could have said that, just shepherd your flock. And that will, in some sense, would be right to say. But it's interesting that he says, shepherd the flock of God. And what he's getting at here is that pastors will miss the big picture when we start to see our churches as our churches. The flock among you is not primarily yours, Peter says, but belongs to God. They don't belong to you before they belong to God. And so a pastor is merely an under-shepherd of the good shepherd, capital S, shepherd, Jesus. And so for, for us who are pastors, like our churches have been given to us to steward humbly under his leadership to steward wisely, knowing that we ultimately answer to him. Uh, and we're, we're going to eventually have to answer for like how we shepherd our flocks. And I want you to also not miss the phrase that he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That is among you. <laughs> and so you might be thinking like, well, yeah, like what other flock is there? But sometimes, <coughs> sometimes as pastors, we can find ourselves like trying to shepherd the flock that we want, that we like to have, rather than when we actually have. We try and shepherd like the platform that they want, we want rather than the flock that's right in front of us. Peter's saying, look, it was up to you. You might only want people who look like you, talk like you, think like you, but you're called to care for those that God has sovereignly placed in your path, under your care. 
<coughs> and then the next few verses, Peter hones in on a few cautions that he gives for pastors and how they lead. So this is point number two. Point number two is three idols that elders or pastors can be drawn to. Three idols that elders can be drawn toward. Brian, you might hand me my water bottle. <clears throat> Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Three idols, in other words, replacement saviors, right? Like rather than making much of God, we make much of these things, almost like, like worshiping them, right? And so here are three idols that elders can be drawn to where we make all of what we do in ministry about these things rather than the person of Christ. And so here's number one. Peter's saying, don't serve the idol of performance. The idol of performance. We see this in verse two when he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. Now, when he uses that word compulsion, that means like out of obligation. Like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do my pastor things because I kind of have to, right? And willingly means you do it out of your free desire. So this is when you start to look at your job as a task to perform instead of a calling to fulfill. And when you do that, you start to become more motivated by, by fear and obligation than by love. You see, there's sort of a, a tongue-in-cheek phrase uh, that preaching pastors use when we talk about, like, Monday mornings. We call it the Monday morning preaching hangover. And it's not because any of us are getting out, like, out getting wasted on Sunday nights. At least I hope not, right? But it's because just the very discipline of preaching, it, it, it takes a lot out of you. It takes a lot of deep head work throughout the week and studying. Uh, it's like having to write an essay, right? You remember having to do that in college? Just having to write a, a whole essay like every single week. Uh, and, and then you get up here and then the adrenaline kicks in and you're engaging your head in what you're doing and you're engaging your heart for this, these people that you love and that you serve, leaving it all out on the field as, as we say. And look, the size of the church doesn't matter too. Like I've, I've, I've had the opportunity to, to, to preach in, in front of like a couple thousand people before. And man, I feel like preaching to a room of like 20 people is way more daunting to me. You can see people's facial expressions. You can see who's awake and who's falling asleep, right? Like some of you guys, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> and so by Monday morning, you just feel like spent. You feel like emotionally and physically spent and, and just like you're running on fumes. And so Peter is addressing the pastor who finds himself in those kinds of moments. He says, don't, don't serve, don't exercise oversight under compulsion, but do it willingly. So it's almost like saying, ask yourself, like, will you shepherd under compulsion or willingly as God would have you? Like when we're serving the idol of performance, we'll either get stuff done just for the sake of checking off those boxes or with a sense of the weight of the calling and passion for Christ. You see, how you see God, your relationship with the Lord, your identity as a son of the living God, how you see your relationship with God on those hard days will affect whether we serve willingly or under compulsion. 
How we see God's people, how we see the church, will affect whether you serve willingly or under compulsion. Let's see, Jesus, Jesus is the great shepherd over all the under shepherds. And he says to all of us, including his under shepherds, including pastors, he says to all of us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, I might be tempted to beat myself up or uh, when, I'm, when I'm feeling down uh, or insufficient, or I might be tempted to like outperform, right? Try to outperform because I'm so anxious. But Jesus says, no, homie, come and rest. Come and rest. I might be a frail version of myself tomorrow morning, but God is no less sufficient for the day. His strength is no less mighty. His presence is no less near. His love is no less liberating and his grace is no less abounding. And so he says, don't serve the idol of performance. Number two, don't serve the idol of position either. Where you want to hoard and hoard things out of greed in order to prop yourself up, get yourself ahead. He continues in verse two when he says, don't exercise oversight not for, for or exercise oversight not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. When he says shameful gain, what he's talking about is the spirit of selfishness where you're building up your own identity in your ministry, building up your sense of privilege or your platform, you, you get the point. And when he says the word eagerly, he's emphasizing here just this positive emotional desire. It's like a passion, right? He says, look, don't serve for shameful game, but, but do it eagerly. So he's like, don't get caught up in, in what you can get out of the ministry. Right? Look, no one joins local church ministry to roll in the dough, right? Like, no one joins the ministry to roll in the dough, except maybe if you're like a prosperity gospel preacher who wants to be like on TBN, right? But he's saying, like, look, even, even if the checks are small, if the only reason that you're in vocational ministry is to get your bills paid to take care of yourself and not much more, like, that's shameful gain. You don't get, get into a position like this, a calling like this, if all you're looking out for is shameful gain. You see, shameful gain doesn't have to just be about money either. Like there are other things a pastor can hope for in shameful gain, like prestige, power, platforms, book deals, Instagram followers, like you get the point. And Peter's saying, Look, pastors, your ministry should never, never be done for your own self-esteem. Should never be engaged in for your own self-righteousness or for your position in the world. It should never be done for a paycheck or a tax break. And just to be clear, I'm not against those two, right? My family appreciates it. 
but it should never be done primarily for a paycheck or a tax break. It should always be done for Jesus. So the question to ask here is, are you driven by what you can get or by what you can give? Are you driven more by what you can get or by what you can give? How you can pour yourself out. The third idol that Peter talks about is the idol of power. So he warns these elders and pastors, he says, look, when you exercise oversight over your churches, don't serve the idol of power. Don't be domineering over those in your charge, he says, but be examples to the flock. That's verse three. Don't be domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, that word domineering, the Greek word there is, is, is katakareo, which is this, this, this interesting word that it's, it's like this forceful sense of domineering, where you're forcefully ruling over and subduing those under your care. It's the same word that's used in Acts 19 when there's like this demon-possessed man, and he's just going wild and going nuts, and he's overpowering the guys that came to exercise the demon out of him. And he just like tosses them around. <laughs> that, that word, katakoreo, is, is the word used for just him overpowering them, tossing them around. <laughs> and he's saying, look, pastors, in some sense, can find themselves doing that kind of thing to the people of God. And that's a shameful thing, Peter says. You see, this actually goes <coughs> against the ways of the world. Like, the ways of the world will say, hey, if you need to overpower people in order to get ahead, do it. Do it, right? If they're not good enough to be where you want to be, pass them up, you know? Step on them to get there. That's the way of the world, but the way of the cross says, lay down your life. Lay down your life so that you can bring people ahead. Peter probably had the words of Jesus in mind uh, from Mark 10. When Jesus said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you, speaking to his disciples. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. The disciples were just arguing with one another about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom alongside Jesus. And Jesus just, just puts them in their place, shows them how backwards their thinking is. And he's like, no, you guys have it all, all backwards. If you want to be great, you got to serve. If you want to be first, you got to be slave to all. You see, those, those who have the privilege of leading in the church, they lead by serving. And they serve by following the example of Jesus. See, if all that we have earned, if all that we know, if all that we have earned in the Christian life is only given to us by God's grace, then there's no place in church leadership for entitlement. No place for this air of superiority. 
No place for oppressing, abusing, coercing, controlling others. Here's the thing, though. Like, unless you're actually close enough to the center of, of, of a church to actually see the mess, the fruit that you see on the outside of, of those types of personalities, of those who oppress, abuse, coerce, and control, the fruit of those types of personalities often produces fruit that looks great on the outside, that looks successful, but smells like crap on the inside. There are people, man, there are people that I respected people that I've served Jesus alongside in ministry who were admired, admired by the crowds, but were behind closed doors. They were dragging broken and abused souls in their wake. Peter's making a point here. He's saying God hates that. God hates that. Don't let you better not be the kind of person that gets caught up in with this idol. Jesus hates that. And look, if, if, that's, if that's part of your story this morning, man, I just want to say that I'm sorry that happened to you. I'm sorry that you experienced that at the hands of leaders who should have known better, case in point, this, this verse. And this is just one of the places out of dozens in the New Testament where we see this kind of language, this kind of rhetoric being used towards pastors that should take this seriously. And, and if that's part of your story, I, I hope that you can receive some sense of comfort and maybe a glimpse of justice and grace in the fact that this passage tells us that God has spoken on this. And the reason maybe your heart hurts from that experience is because that is not how God intended this to be. And your conscience bears witness to that. And I think we can all take comfort by looking at the example we have in Jesus. Jesus didn't approach ministry for selfish gain. In fact, it, the scriptures say he had no place to lay his head because he wasn't welcome anywhere. The one who was the sovereign Lord over all things, the King of kings, the right Lord of lords, he didn't lead by domineering, but by washing his disciples' feet, by being an example of service, the kind of service that could be described as being a slave to all. One of my favorite books on, on church leadership, like a lot of times you got these books on church leadership uh, that 
that'll talk about uh, like like tactics and, and methods and, and, and ministry and, and all and that stuff has its place. It's it's helpful, but but man, the really good stuff are the ones that talk about the heart of leadership. That kind of go behind the veil to try and get to what Peter's getting at here, what's going on in the heart below what everyone else sees. One of my favorite books on that topic is a book called The Way of the Dragon and the Way of the Lamb uh, by uh, two new friends of mine, uh, Jamin Goggin. He's a pastor uh, down south. And then uh, Kyle Strobel, a professor over at uh, Biola. And in this book, uh, they say this. Jesus invites pastors into his way of shepherding. And in his way, power is found in weakness. And power is expressed in love. We don't shepherd faithfully by simply observing his behavior in the Gospels and trying our best to copy his act, but by participating in this way by the Holy Spirit. We are shepherds who serve in hiddenness and are surprised when recognition does come. Such is the way from above. Such is the way of the kingdom. He says, man, don't serve the idol of power. And the idol of power is one of the trickiest ones because of all, of all these idols, the idol of power is the one that will reward you according to the ways of the world. But will bring you as a pastor and leader further and further away from the heart of Christ. Now as we close in our text, I want us to look at number three. <clears throat> Point number three, what this means for the rest of us. Now in this verse, he actually addresses the whole, the rest of the congregation, not just the pastor elders, but the rest of us. He says in verse five, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Now, when Peter uses that word younger, he doesn't mean younger in age. If so, uh, he would have used uh, the, the Greek word neaniskos rather than neos, which is what he does use. But rather, it refers to those who have seniority and standing in the faith. The type of authority and standing in the faith that qualifies them to be pastors, to be elders. And Peter uses this word likewise. He uses this word likewise to shift attention here. And that, that Greek word, that Greek ad word, verb means like on the same subject. And so he says, by the way, on that same subject... You who are younger, be subject to the elders. And when he says that, be subject to the elders, he's saying, look, you who are not elders, you who are not pastors, be willing to support your pastor elders in the directions that they're leading the church. The use of the word likewise is not that you have the same role, but you should have the same kind of attitude. Now, just to be clear, 
like, well, what if the pastor is like one of these domineering types? You know, what if the pastor is being uh, like telling us to do something that co- clearly contradicts God's word? Uh, then I hope, you know, the obvious answer is your ultimate allegiance is to God. His word, his spirit, his kingdom, and not the kingdom of your pastor elder. But there are some things that are, we might consider like gray areas or tertiary areas that the scriptures don't explicitly speak on. Like, I don't know, how are we going to foster community? Like through what kind of like groups model are, are we going to do that, right? Um, like uh, what's the philosophy of ministry on this point or on that point? On those tertiary matters, man, find yourself in a local church where you can get excited about what's going on. And if you're not, maybe, maybe that's a point of sanctification for you where God puts you in that church to challenge you and to grow you. And so in other words, he's telling them, he's like, look, follow your pastors without complaining, follow without greed, follow without domineering or being manipulative in nature. Remember, he's saying in the same way, on the same subject, follow in this way as I've just encouraged them to lead. Follow without people pleasing, serving as it were unto God and not unto men. In other words, what I would say is, hey, look, let the elders lead you. Let them speak into your world the glory of God's truth. Let them uphold the gospel and the glory of Christ. And again, elders are under authority. They're not the top authority. They are still under authority. God is still the ultimate authority. The chief shepherd is still the ultimate authority. But when you hear the ministry of the word and prayer, which are the primary responsibilities of pastors and elders to preach and to pray on behalf of the church, when you hear the ministry of the word and when you pray together as a congregation, respond. Respond to their leadership. Respond to what God wants to do through you. Follow, participate. Get in the trenches. And so look, this is, this is where I want to extend an invitation to those of you that are here and to those that are streaming online. Step in. Step in the trenches with us. We'll we'll have your back and we need you to have ours. You see, some people, they like to follow from afar, but they'll follow just far enough to have an opinion on what's going on, but not close enough to actually participate in it. Right? Right? So my invitation is like, like, hey, would you move in? Would you move in a little bit closer? Would you get in the trenches with us? Like if you invited me over to dinner, let's just say a few times, right? And after two or three times of me coming over to dinner at your house, I was like, all right, all right, fam, here's what I think we should do about our family dinners here, right? Here's what I think we should do with, with the house here, right? Let's, let's have a family meeting. You'd be like, who is this guy? Right? Like, who does that? You have dinner here for the second or the third time, and you think that you can just tell us what to do? But man, if I, if I showed up 
to your home and you invited me in and I decided to stay. I packed my bags. I started moving in, me and my family. And we just started doing life together. And man, like, it, it would mean something entirely different if I spoke up at a family dinner, right? So, man, that's my invitation to you. Would you, would you move in to our, like, not actually move in, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Spiritually, would you move in? Move in close enough that you bear both the weight of that responsibility, but also the joys of local church life as the scriptures call us to. And what does the word of God say? It says that we're called to bear with one another. And so look, this is also, this is also an invitation from me for you to keep me and future pastors and elders that get installed at this church to keep us accountable to these things we talked about. Elders are called to lead, to feed the sheep, to care, and to, to know the flock in humility. And if you're a covenant member at this church, if you've gotten in the trenches with us and that's not happening, your role is to speak up. Your role is to pray for us. And so be prayerful, be discerning, and be humble. Ask questions like, hey, how can I help? I see a hole here. How can we help fill that hole? And then listen. Like Proverbs says, the way of a fool is right in his own wise, but a wise man listens. You see, the type of unity and order that we see in the New Testament church is one of mutual service to one another. We're not consumers here. We participate in this as a family. And we need that. We need this mutual service. My growth, not just as a pastor, my growth as a Christian requires that from you. Your growth as a Christian requires my faithfulness in my role. We need that. We're called to that type of mutual service. And because we're called to that, because God has spoken on that, we know it's good. We know it's good for us. That what God has designed for us and his blueprint for the church comes from the one who planted the church, died for the church, and is building his church to this day. And if that's his idea, if this is all his idea, if church is his idea, then we as Christians know it's good for us. Even when we're feeling the awkward discomfort of having our rough edges smoothed, being challenged in ways we don't like, we know it's good for us. And that ultimately there is safety there, there is blessing there, there is encouragement there. Like this mutual service towards one another, what I'm talking about is this Christian virtue of humility. And that applies to all of us, pastors and non-pastors, all of us. Look at the end of verse five. The end of verse five, he says, clothe yourselves, all of you. He's addressing all the Christians now throughout the dispersion. 
In verse 1, he says, let me address the elders. And now verse 5, he says, all right, now back to all of you. Back to our regular programming. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the, to the what? To the humble. See, both elders and church members, both leaders and followers, we all need to be clothed with humility. You know what humility is? It's rightly resting our identity in who God says that we are. Sinners saved by a grace that we don't deserve. Sinners saved by ill-deserved grace. So that means you consider others better than yourself. You look to Jesus as our example for that. We read about that in Philippians 2, where Paul encourages us to to show honor, to be humble towards one another, and then he gives an example of what Jesus did. He left it all. He left left behind his power, his privilege, his throne, and he came down in the form of a human, even more than that, a human servant, and even more than that, one who would go to the cross in our place and for our sins. That's the kind of humility that that the God that we follow left the highest place that there possibly is, the highest position that could possibly be had, and willingly, for our sake, because of his love, went to the lowest place you could possibly go for us. Peter's saying, hey, look, be humble like that. Leaders should lead humble in that, humbly in that way. Followers should follow humbly in that way. And he says, clothe yourselves with this kind of humility. I love that imagery of clothing. I want you to think about how much we think about the clothes that we're going to put on before we head out the door, Right? Think about how much time you spend, like, hey, does this match with this? I'm not really good at that, so, like, my wife helps me out with all that, right? But the point still stands, right? Like, I need somebody, even if it's not me, I need somebody to spend the time and the thought to make sure that I look presentable when I head out the door. Because how you look says something about you. Depending on what you care about, it might say something about your class, your social class your achievements, your well-being, your self-respect. Peter says, as much as you think about that, like every single day before you head out the door, clothe yourselves with humility. He says, Christians, humility should be our defining uniform. We humble ourselves under Christ, all of us. We humble ourselves under Christ, our one true shepherd. 
We need to have confidence in what he has established, confidence in what he's doing in and through his church, and ultimate confidence in just who he is. Verse four of our text, just going back now, verse four said, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, in the middle of this this text, Peter writes a message in this verse, verse four, pleading with leaders, pleading with pastors, pointing them to Jesus, the chief, chief shepherd. Why does he do that? Why does he do that in the middle? Why does he point them to Jesus, the one who will appear and give them a fading crown of glory? He leads people because Jesus is the one who leads people like no other. He follows the Father like no other. The applause of men will fade, but the love of Christ never fades. And he says to leaders, he's like, look, guys, you ultimately are going to answer to him. Christ is going to appear. Christ is going to appear. And if you are faithful in this way, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. It's this reward, this crown of glory that he's been talking about to all the Christians throughout 1 Peter. You see, Jesus is the ultimate hope of the church. He's our ultimate hope. It doesn't, our hope doesn't rest on the pastor's shoulders. There is a greater shepherd a capital S shepherd who's leading this church, who's filling this church. He's the one leading, building, guiding, calling. And he holds leaders of the church accountable with that statement, shepherd the flock of God. This is God's flock. The chief shepherd's gonna appear and he'll, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory if you're faithful in these ways. Man, I gotta tell you, verses like that in the scriptures, they're heavy on me. They're heavy on me. It strikes the fear of God in me. Like, man, I'm gonna have to give an account to Jesus for some area of my life that no one else has to unless they're also a pastor, I'm gonna have to stand before Jesus and give an account for how well I shepherded this church. You know how nerve-wracking that is? If there's sin in my life? You know how nerve-wracking that is? If I, if no matter how humble you think I I am, that there's, I know that there's pride uh, that I'm struggling with in, in my heart things that I want to manipulate and and, and control. That's a heavy weight. And so he says, hey, look, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus is that chief shepherd that we all need to look to for our example and for our hope. I want to close by reading this passage from John chapter 10. John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to a group of people who were doubting who he was. And he tells them, beginning in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own, they know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock 
one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Man, do you see the love of Christ for us in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our rebellion against him? That he, the chief shepherd, rather than have us go astray, says, no, I'll lay my life down for them. You see, our God is not the kind of shepherd that abuses people and uses them. He's the kind of shepherd that provides cares, feeds, protects, and humbly leads. He wasn't just a good example. He was a good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. And he comes, comes after us. He pursues us. He comes after us because it's his people that he loves. We are his flock, his people. He comes because we didn't just need a good model for living, but we needed someone to stand in our place. That is the hope of the church. That is the hope of our church, that we have a good shepherd who will never leave. And so whenever we fail as leaders, and whenever we fail as followers, Jesus is faithful to his people. And so just again, I want to invite you to step into the blessing and privilege of getting in the trenches with the local church. Step in and reconsider the character of Jesus as our great shepherd. Maybe you pray for his under shepherds, for pastors. Maybe you pray for the leaders in your church. Maybe you encourage one of them this week. Maybe you just show up to see how you can help, how you can contribute. Maybe you're somebody who feels a sense that you're called to the noble task of being a pastor elder, as 1 Timothy 3 calls it, a noble task. Seek it with humility, not for selfish gain. And remember the words of Peter, all of us, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. We all need that. We all need that exhortation for humility. And we all need Jesus. And so let's close our time singing songs about his work and his character and nature. Giving our offerings to support his mission and receiving communion to experience the spiritual presence of our chief shepherd, our good shepherd, who laid down his life for us, his undeserving sheep. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.